Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, welcome to Fight Night. It is Saturday night. Your home for boxing is TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. It is a pleasure to be in your company once again. Uh, we've got an action-packed show lined up for you. Later on, you're going to be hearing from Deontay Wilder. Gareth A. Davis has been catching up with him in the United States. Uh, so he'll be on the show just after 9 o'clock. After 8 o'clock, Don McGuinness will be in the studio with us as we preview the big fight tonight uh, between Daniel Dubois and Nathan Gorman. And the first hour is dedicated to a former heavyweight that is currently sat across from me right now. But before I introduce him... Take a listen to this, because this will remind you of his time in the rink. Hiding out of Woolwich, London, England, he weighed in at 17 stars, six and a half pounds, introducing Julian Brunson. These are hard shots to body and head. British rules. He's in a lot of pain now. It's all too much. Roy Francis again asks him and lets it run. Got to be Julian's a proud man and he's trying to hang in but down again. And this time it is waved off. Mike Tyson wins. We make it after 58 seconds of the second round. Two knockdowns in the first round. Three in the second. And he looked for business. Tyson there. Okay. Julius Francis is in the studio with me. When you when you hear that, when you hear old commentary, when you maybe watch some old footage and what have you, what well, mem- what memories come back? Right, you're right, you're good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely brings back memories, um, good and bad, you know. Um, but what I do, but I always kind of I look at the fight. I've, I've watched it often, um, just trying to see obviously where I made my mistakes, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I I look back on it, and I look back on it with with kind of joy and, mm. and a bit of uh, you know, um, I wouldn't say regrets, but um, kind of thinking, what if? Yeah, what might have been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. What might have been? Uh, listen, over the next hour, Julius is going to be with us for for an hour or so. We're going to talk about all sorts: wins, losses, <laughs> highs, lows, all different types of things uh, wow. from uh, Julius's life and career. Obviously, inside the ring, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. 
Um, if you've got to go out, make sure you download the podcast because it will definitely be on there for you. Um, I want to start right at the start, right? Because be, you came to boxing, professional boxing, quite late. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I, um, I became a professional fighter at 28 years old. Mm. Um, and I suppose in a way... In a way, it was kind of not, maybe not forced on me, but then it was. I just saw it as a way of me staying not well, yeah, staying out of trouble. But I'd had, I'd had a few confidence boosters. Um, not to say I was I was any shrinking violent or anything, but um, I had guys look at me and think, well, or say to me, yeah, well, you know, give it a go. Mm. You know, so um, yeah, at 28, I decided to turn pro, and I, and that was after a couple of years, um, maybe debating whether it was whether that was going to be the right thing for me. Talk to yeah. me about leading up to that point, because like you said, up until 28, <clears throat> you were getting yourself in and out of bother. Yeah, and I was, um, I was, I think, I don't know, 28. So yeah, I'd I'd been in I'd been in prison. Done a bit of done a bit of time, um, and come out and um, yeah. The last time I was away, it was I was kind of on a um, looking at a lot of time. So when I was away, I was thinking to myself, right, what what am I going to do if I come out of here? Yeah, right. Um, so it was I was saying to myself, well, you can fight. And I was because I'd done a bit of amateur boxing. I was amateur boxing. I've been amateur boxing for, actually for ten years. So I, so I walked into a boxing amateur mm. boxing gym at eighteen. Had uh, amateur, well, not really. I wouldn't say amateur career because it wasn't a career. Um, and I, I, I stayed amateur for a while, for ten years. But in between, in between amateur boxing, I did kung fu, karate, kickboxing, mm. and, and unlicensed boxing. So I I did a lot of fighting. Kind of on the street and in the ring, kind of thing, you know. Did you do? Um, much, did you do much inside? Was it? Was there anything? I don't know. Regulated on the inside where you can maybe train and actually what? compete on behalf of the Nick or not? Oh no, no, nothing no, no, like no, that. No, nothing like that. Then no, I I trained. I could train. Yeah, uh, but we could do um, weight training. But they were at the time. He wasn't allowed to do any kind of um, physical contact, as in boxing or yeah. or anything like that. You could just do weight training, really. Um, so I, I was doing weights. I, I kind of stayed in the gym doing weights. Um, and if you wanted to, obviously it was, it was whatever you did in your cell to keep the mind occupied. Yeah, of course. You know? um, so you're in there looking at a lot of time and you think to yourself, what am I going to do when I get yeah, out? Yeah, at the time. Yeah, at the time I was. And um, I, I just kind of, it was just, it wasn't even a like an epiphany or anything like that. But it was just kind of, saying, I was saying to myself, well, if I do get out, you can fight. So, what can you do with your fighting? Yeah. Not knowing or not even focusing on, I'm going to become a professional fighter, you know? So, when I did come out... Um, so, what options did you have in your head then? You, you knew that you could fight. What yeah. were you thinking? Were, were you thinking... Well, I'd, I'd, I'd already done unlicensed boxing. Right, okay. Um, obviously, in in between the amateur and whatever, so I could I could I'd done the unlicensed boxing, and I was just thinking to myself, well, maybe I could do unlicensed and earn some money that way, and, and earn a few quid that I didn't know about the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, and I was just saying to myself, well, I see where I can take myself, you know. Um, and then when I came out, 
um, I started training at a gym called King's Thai Boxing, mm-hmm. which was down in Woolwich again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gym was owned by a friend of mine who was an amateur boxer as well. So I start, I was training there. Um, and, and again, kind of going back, when I was doing the unlicensed, it was him that was putting on the unlicensed shows as well. Mm-hmm. So he had, like, he, he had fingers in pies, whatever. So... You know, I, I knew he was a good guy, and but I just wanted to, I just went to the gym and trained, and then I met this guy, um, my my kickboxing trainer, his name was Andy Mayo, right? and he was a former world, um, I think he was a middleweight um, kickboxing champion. So I was just in the gym, all I was I was in the gym on my own, just punching the bag, kicking the bag, because I because I used to do taekwondo as well and 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 um, uh, kung fu, so I was just in the you know, not looking for anybody to look at me or whatever. I was just doing what I was doing. And um, this guy came down and he was watching me. And then he said to me, he was having a class. He was His class was going to be where the gym, where, the, where I was training. And he said, look, he said, you ever thought about fighting for money? Like doing kickboxing for money? And I said, well, I've never really done any kickboxing. He said, well, I'll, I'll train you and then I'll get you a fight. So... I think three months later, I started training with him. So three months later, um, he took me over to France, went over to France for my first kickboxing fight. And that was in, I think, the March, April of of that year. I think it was 1990. Mm. Um, And then, and I fought a guy who was, um, he was number one contender for the world title. Wow. In your first fight? In my first fight, yeah. Yeah. So, and... I lost to him on points. I lost to that guy on points. So I thought, well, I didn't even think to myself, right, then I can I can do this. I just went, I just carried on fighting because I didn't like losing anyway. And then by the end of that year, I won the European title yeah. for contact kickboxing. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so then I kind of... Um, that gave you the confidence in the yeah, belief to like, so you can make a confidence. career out of it, yeah. Well... I was also I was boxing as well. I was doing it. I was doing amateur boxing as well. So and plus, plus I was playing rugby. Plus I used to play a bit of football. Um, and, and obviously, it was giving you a focus and keeping you out of trouble. Yes, that's that was was my main kind of aim and and um, interest. And and then I was working the doors as well. So you know, I was I was nicking a few quid on the doors and whatever. Plus, I was doing that, and then. I, I just saw the kickboxing was giving me, it was giving me a way out and it gave me a way of earning some good legal money. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was that was all great. So was that okay was the start. Me. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Um, that was it. Was the start of me. Not saying right, I'm going to be a professional fighter, but just yes, I can earn money fighting. It was the start of getting yourself together, is what it was, wasn't it? And getting yourself focused and getting yourself on this particular I suppose path. maybe, yeah. 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 But I never, re- I never really kind of looked at it as that, because I didn't know what that yeah, was. Yeah. Now, that is obviously, people listen to this, it's a bit of a mad tale so far. Listen, <laughs> wait till we get into the professional boxing thing, right? <laughs> because that is a mad tale, oh, wow. let, me, let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stick with us, Julius Francis is going to be with us for the next 45 minutes or so. We are going to go through uh, the professional boxing life and get his opinions as well on, on the modern day world uh, in the heavyweight scene. So do stick with us, this is Fight Night here on TalkSport. Don't call it a comeback!
Uh, you listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. Julius Francis with me for at least the next 45 minutes. This could go on for some time, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, his professional boxing career. It was interesting uh, you telling your tale there of how you actually got involved in fight sports. Trouble when you were a kid, up until the age of 28, getting into kickboxing, then moving into the world of uh, full combat sports, and obviously then into boxing. But mm. just in the break there, you were telling me an interesting tale about growing up late 70s, 80s, as a kid at school, and we're living in a very different time now. There'll be people listening yeah. to this that might just think this is made up. It's not. Trust no. me, go and ask your parents about it. 70s and 80s, National Front and various things like yeah. that. Yeah. As a as a young black man growing up in, in, in Woolwich, in Woolwich yeah, it yeah, must yeah. have been absolutely crazy for you. Yeah, it was. It was, it was that time. And, you know, uh, I don't even know where to start, kind of, as far as that is concerned, because it was... Like, you had the National Front come down at the weekends handing out leaflets. Um, the skinheads um, all dressed up in their gear, what they used to what they used to wear, and you, and you could see them a mile off, and they could see, obviously, see you a mile off. So they would chase you down the road, and, and if they got you, you'd, you were in for a hiding. Um, and that was just so, normal life, day-to-day -day life. Was, that was basically, when I say it was basic, on a, from Friday night to Sunday night, in Woolwich, because they had at the time there was a they had a pub there that used to meet. So you had Skinners from London, and then Skinners from Kent yeah. came up, and that was their meeting ground. And if you weren't aware of that, and if you weren't savvy to that, and you got caught up in it, mm. you know you was you was you was in for a bit of trouble. Mm. You know, so it was so um, it, so you kind of forced into a world of fighting, I suppose, even as a young yeah, lad. In, yeah, in some ways, yeah. Um, and I'm not. I, I can't say, um, you know, uh, it was it was bad for me. I just, uh, it, it made me who I am today. Yeah, you know, uh, um, I'm strong and I'm and and fit-ish, um, you know, uh, um, and I, I think there's a lot of. Um, the, I know that the world has changed. But in some ways it hasn't, yeah. you know, as regards to those kind of things. You know, and, and at the time as well, you had a few um, quite high-profile murders mm. in and around the area, in and around South London um, and, and South East London. So you had to, if you was around, if you wanted to be on the streets as well, and if you wanted to live a good kind of life or daily life, yeah. you had to kind of know how to protect yourself. Mm. You know? That then obviously is the is the basis of your of your fighting knowledge. Then you go obviously into what you would class as regulated fight yeah, sports. Yeah. Uh, and then you move into the world of professional boxing. Yeah. Now, right? <laughs> I, I just wanna I wanna fast forward us up to your first six, seven fights. You're knocking kids out for fun, man. You're having a whale well, of a time, aren't you? You're 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 taking I, kids I like a duck to water. I did. I, I you know, my I remember my first um my, my debut, I fought a guy um, a guy named Graham Arnold, who the year before I'd sparred with him, mm -hmm. and he was he was quite good. He was ha he was a handy fighter, um, and and I was I was a bit you know uh, um, overawed in as it you know in a way because I I used to travel from Woolwich to um, Romford. That's yeah, right. that's why I was trying over at Romford. Um, so at the time you had Herbie Harbers in the gym. Scott Welsh, Gary Delaney, uh, Paul Silky, Paul Silky Jones, top fighter, 
and um, and and they had other different fighters that used to come in. So and then I'd see the likes of Nigel Ben used to pass by the gym. Mm-hmm. Chris Eubanks used to be in, and I was like, I was wow. My eyes was big, like you know, big like saucers, you know, because those guys were in there, and, and they were guys that you only saw on TV at the time, kind of thing. So. I used to hate sparring with Gary Delaney because Gary Delaney had... He was a light heavyweight, but he had a wicked left hook. Mm-hmm. Left hook to the body, left hook to the... He had those crazy punches of his, and he could hit and hurt you. I didn't like sparring with him. I love sparring with Herbie because, you know, in a way, um, Herbie brought out the best in me. Yeah. Because he, he, he was a good fighter. Herbie yeah, was a good yeah, fighter. yeah. And I wanted to prove myself. When I sparred with Scott, Scott Welsh was like a big rugby player. And I, I do, I work with Scott now. We've had, and me and Scott fought you a, had a couple, couple of times. Couple yeah, of national in, in, bouts in, as yeah, well. In, in our pro career, Scott was tough. You know, he was a big bruiser. That's a, that's what I always remember him like that. He was tough. And then I used to do some moving around with with Silky. You know what I mean? But then Graham, I sparred with Graham, and he like he came to fight. Mm. And then when I had my pro debut, and it was, I didn't kind of necessarily know it was going to be him. But yeah, they said, "Oh right, you're fighting this guy Graham Arnold." So he'd already had a few um, pro bouts. Yeah. So, but it didn't really bother me as such. It was kind of like it, the one thing I do remember is because um, um, I was only getting a, I was getting a, a relatively well, it was a small purse. You know, I was getting, I think my first fight I was getting like five hundred pound or something like that. Wow. So. And and still, the manager would take his cut, and the and the trainer would take yeah. his cut, and you know, and you'd be left maybe with a couple of hundred pounds. You had to pay, you had to get with your tickets or whatever. Um, but I was just saying to myself, I'm a professional fighter, and I've had a, I, I've had, I'm I'm a pro now, so I'm gonna be. I wouldn't necessarily, I never ever thought about earning a lot of money in my career, never because that wasn't my my aim. When I I remember when I became a professional fighter, and I, I had my first trainer. And he asked me, Julius, what do you want to do in boxing? And I said, I want to be British champion. Because I wasn't able to be British champion as an amateur because I got chucked out of the amateurs. Yeah. Yeah, because I, because I had an unlicensed fight. I was, you know. Um, but I wanted to be a pro. I wanted to be pro, uh, British champion as a pro. Well, they sped you along really quick, didn't they? Because well, you, you had six fights and you were doing extremely yeah, well. And I then you doing, were in with Ruiz right. really quick, yeah. weren't you? I, in in my seventh fight, I fought John 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 Ruiz, yeah, yeah. not Andy Ruiz, not the John one that's Ruiz. out there right yeah. now, John Ruiz, who yeah. went on to become world champion. He, yeah, he became the first Hispanic world champion. Um, yeah, and, and um, maybe I should have been in with him. Maybe I shouldn't. And looking back on it, maybe I shouldn't have been in with him because he'd only had one loss in his career in a, a seventeen fight pro career, and he had one loss against I think it was um, Darnell Nicholson mm. or something like that. So he was good. But I never knew this. I never knew. I, they're just telling me I'm fighting this guy, this American guy. So he's, okay, I'm gonna fight this guy. But he was good. <clears throat> anyway, ended up he ended up cracking two of my ribs. Mm. So I was out. I was gutted. I was absolutely gutted that I lost my my O. But it never deterred me because when I came back to the gym, came back to the gym. We was then we was training over at um, the Peacock over in Cannon Town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walked into the gym. The first day I walked back into the gym, who's in the gym training? John Ruiz. So my trainer says, all right, now we've got your spar. You're going to be sparring now. You mean I'm sparring? You're going to be sparring with John. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to spar with John. I don't want to spar with John. I want to fight him. 
Cause I wanted to, I wanted to get my revenge. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. my mindset. I want to get my revenge. So, and he said, um, I'm a chance. He said, no, 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 you're not going to be, you're not going to be, your chance is gone. And I said, no. All right, and then kind of, you know, up, up to him. He's, uh, he can go Do take one. a jump. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Um, and I never got, never sparred with him, never worked with him. And, but I never got a chance to fight him again. Yeah, yeah. Which I was, I was actually really gutted. But I went on, I think maybe, I'm not sure if I had a, a win after that. And then I had a... You were um, into the Southern Area titles then, then weren't you? Then won, yeah, won the Southern Area title. Um, had a had a couple of defences of the Southern Area title. And then... What was that like? I mean, as a, as a young guy, like you say, growing up, you've been in and out of trouble, you become a professional fighter, then you start winning titles. And a prestigious one, you know what I mean? Because I like the traditional roots of Southern yeah. Area, English, yeah. British, Lonsdale belts well, and all I that didn't know about stuff. I never knew that there was an English title. Ah, I right, never okay. knew that. Right, okay. I never knew that there was an English title. And that was only... As far as I knew about the English title, that only came along after I'd won the British title. Right, okay. So I didn't know about it. But I would have liked to have won the English title as well. Yeah, yeah. You know? But to be still an area, you know what I mean? Cocky your yeah, walls, was, cocky yeah. your area. That's the thing, Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, that's, that's right. So I'd won the Southern Area title. And then, and I think, um, if I remember, I won the Southern Area at, it was the old um, Elephant Castle. Yeah. Leisure Centre. That's where I won the title. And it was a really good night. I had a really good night. I fought um, a guy named Damien Caesar, right, who we was in the gym together. We we didn't actually spar, but we was, we trained in the same gym. Mm -hmm. um, and then, obviously, it comes along that we, we're, we're going to actually fight each other. And um, I think I stopped Damien in the seventh or eighth round, you know, mm -hmm. of a ten-round fight for the seven there and I was you know I, I don't know I don't know how I even felt about about that but I was I was pleased that I won the seven area title I was pleased that I won the seven area title but I don't know how pleased I was about it because it wasn't actually the goal that I'd set for myself okay what was the you goal know, then at that point I wanted to be British champion British champion I wanted the British title yeah so you saw it as a stepping stone at that particular point to get yeah, you to the next level because it wasn't it, when I won the British title, I didn't have the same feelings as when I when I won the Southern Area. When I won the Seven Southern Area title, it was like to me, oh, okay, all right, and I've done it. Now I've got that belt. But when you get your hands on a Lonsdale, I look, yeah, yeah, that's the whole different ball game. So, <laughs> you know, I look at the belt and and I cherish. I really do cherish that belt. You know, because it's a, it's a good looking belt as well, it, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, it's, it's a beautiful belt. But not only that, it's the history of the belt as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, it goes back a long way, and no matter what anybody says ever to you now, you were British, British heavyweight champion. Yeah, I was British heavyweight champion, and I became only the fourth guy to win the Lonsdale belt outright. So Henry Cooper done it first. Yeah, Horace Notice done it second. Lennox Lewis done it third. Julius Francis done it fourth. Well, that is some so that's some company, man. That was yeah, 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 definitely. And and um, you know, to be in that, to be in that kind of group there for those who don't know, know for those who don't know by the way you've got to defend it three times in order to yeah, win it outright yeah to win it outright which is not normally done especially in the modern world now I mean we've got two lads fighting for the British title tonight yeah. you would think that they'll go on to other yeah, things maybe yeah. European titles and stuff like that so therefore they'll vacate belts but, you decided I'm yeah. defending the belt because well, I want I, didn't it outright. Even, I don't think I had a choice I don't really think I had a choice about defending it because uh, when I won the, when I won the British title, I'd, I'd won the Commonwealth title first before I won the British title. So I won the Commonwealth title, and then I got a chance to fight for the British title. Yeah. And it was a vacant British title at the time. 
Um, so I fought, I, I fought a guy named Gary Delaney. Yeah. Right. So obviously, I, yeah. So I fought Gary Delaney, um, who is half Irish, as far as I as far as I know, and I fought him in Ireland at the I think it was a King's Hall in Belfast, mm-hmm. where I won the British title. And you know, people said to me about me fighting over there. And I said no. You know what? I wasn't. I wasn't overawed about fighting over there against against a, uh, an Irish guy. Yeah, yeah. For all intents and purposes, because the crowd wasn't going to be against me per se. Because what they wanted to see there was a good fight. Mm-hmm. So I knew that they wanted to see a good fight. And and regardless of whoever won the fight, they wanted to see. They liked to see a good fight. Yeah. The Irish liked to see a good fight. So and I was happy to win the win the title there. But actually. Defending the title, I, I def- made my first defence um, at the York Hall right in Bethnal venue. Green. Right that was a great. That was a great night because again I was the underdog. Um, I don't know why I was the underdog either because um, I was fighting Pele Reed. Yes. Who? Yes, he he knocked everybody out. He had thirteen fights, thirteen wins, thirteen KOs. But I don't know why I was the underdog because I was the champion. Yeah. You know, and yes, he could punch, but he'd never been in. With anybody of my caliber, so um, I don't know why they put me as the underdog, but hey, didn't matter. And, yeah, you won the fight because yeah, I stopped him in in three rounds, and I it it was a good it was a good night. It was a brilliant night for me, really, but also it was tinged with a bit of sadness as well mm. because um, a few months before my best friend had, had died, so he never saw me. Um, like defend and yeah. my title, you know. Uh, he never saw me win it. Well, he, he saw me win it, but not defend, defend it. it. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of tinged with a bit of sadness. But um, knowing that I, I dedicated that fight to him, you know, what I mean, my my good friend John, mm. you know. Um, and then going on when I when I won the fight, uh, the uh, Lonsdale belt outright mm-hmm. at the Albert Hall. So so check that out, right? You've gone on the way soil. Yeah. You've done it in the absolute spiritual home of boxing yes, at the York Hall, yeah. and then you've done it in the uh, in the Albert in Hall, the Albert Hall, in mate. front of in front. I don't know how many people was there at the Albert Hall, but wow. um, that night again, I was def- I was making the defence against Danny Williams, yeah, who was and I and I say this now, and I've I've always said this about Danny. I think he was one of the best homegrown heavyweights that we've this country produced in a long time. Wow, very very good fighter, very yeah. very good fighter. Mm. And we used to spar a lot. Me and Danny used to spar a lot, and because we sparred at the Peacock, and um, Danny was Danny, they'd always say, "Oh, Danny always gets the better of you," and he, he more than likely did because he had very good hands, very fast, and threw shots from everywhere. Great left hooker to the head and body, good, good. And um, I just and but the night we fought, it was just my time. Yeah, it was just yeah. I, no matter what was going to be thrown at me it was just going to be me I was just going because that that belt I was not going to let it go Stu stick with us you listen to Fight Night here on TalkSport um, Julius Francis is with me in the studio he's going to talk about Mike Tyson in a minute don't go anywhere <laughs> Life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's fight night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. Julius Francis is with me, a man that has been in the ring with the likes of Vitaly Klitschko. Um, a man that actually uh, saw in Vegas a couple of weeks ago at the Tyson Fury fight, Axel Schultz was out Axel there, you know? Schultz, yeah, yeah, You've been in with Axel Schultz yes, as well. Yeah. Um, and you've also been in with a certain Iron Mike Tyson. <laughs> now, yeah. the reason why I bring this up, right, because this is so prominent in my mind, Tyson was my dad's favourite fighter. And, and probably the majority of people of that age... So you're making me old now. No, no, I apologise. <laughs> but but that kind of, I kind of inherited that. So in the yeah. late 80s, as a young lad, my dad's watching a lot of Bruno and right. various things like that. He's getting into Tyson. So we're watching this absolute teenage monster yes. coming through right. in the late 80s. And, and it's very hard not to get carried away with all that. And obviously he goes on to fight uh, the likes of Holyfield and famous fights and all his misdemeanours in the 90s. But then we end up in the early 2000s and he's coming to Manchester. But... Going back, I remember sitting with my friend watching. I'd only been boxing maybe two, three years, but I sat as an amateur. Right. I sat and watched Mike win the world heavyweight title. And my friend saying to me, God, this is so John, saying to me, you're fighting one day. Wow. You could beat this guy. Wow. And so, I'm like, are so, you crazy? This so that's is- like 12, 13 years previous. So yeah, that was oh, late definitely. 80s, 87, 88, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, no, I think he won the title in... 86, maybe. Uh, that is unbelievable. Yeah, and I and and you got to remember, I'm an amateur fighter having, and there's no way that our paths are going to cross. That's what I'm at that point. At that point, in at time, that point, yeah. yeah. So let's fast forward then, right? Because he's coming to Manchester. So yeah. my my dad in the house, he's getting all giddy. He's going, Tyson's coming to town. I'm like, who's he fighting? Who's he fighting? He's fighting Julius Francis, right? Yeah. Talk to me about that process. How does that come about where Julius Francis is fighting Mike, I am Mike Tyson in Manchester? Well, I then it, it wasn't um, a case of, right, Mike comes to England, he's going to fight Julius. It was a case of, for me, um, I'd won, I'd, I'd won and defended my title. So, um, and then there was a quite a long period where, the, where I wasn't fighting, I hadn't done anything because I think my last fight um, when I when I defended my title um was May, June or July, something like that. Mm-hmm. So there was a long gap, and I was I was kind of getting hungry about fighting, you know. 
Um, and then there was talk because obviously Tyson had been in trouble in America, and I'd, I'd kind of watched certain things that had, had been happening with him, and I'd been doing commentating on on a few of his fights, the Holyfield fight and whatever. Um, and then seeing him getting in trouble, and then seeing that they were saying, right, he's not going to fight in America, he's going to he might make a tour to Europe, but not ever thinking to him, think to myself, Ireland, I'm going to fight him. It's going to be me that's fighting them. Um, and then my my um, promoter manager at the time, Frank Maloney, says one day, he just says, right, now, Tyson's come to England. Um, if he comes over, I'm going to try and get the fight for you. Would you fight him? Like, it don't take me two seconds to answer. Of course I'm going to fight him. Yeah. Of course I'd fight him. Who wouldn't? Any any person worth their salt, if you're a footballer, you want to play for the best team. If you're a tennis player, like what's going on now, you want to play you want to play against the, the top tennis players. Yeah. You know, I was I'm British champion. I'm the I'm for all intents and purposes. I'm the best I'm in the, Britain. I'm the best in Britain. Yeah, I'm the I'm the king of England. So, so as it were. So let me take on the best in America. <laughs> yes. That's what you want. So and and by then he'd already lost a couple of times. Yeah. So he was Vulnerable and 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 the air of invincibility see, yeah, had yeah, gone. It had from gone. Him. It had gone. So, yeah, there was no. It wasn't a case of um um. I'm in an R in. It was of course. If you can get the fight, yeah, get the fight. I'll fight him. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna run away from him. So regarding the fight, obviously it plays out in Manchester. We all know what happened yeah, in the yeah. fight. I want to talk to you about the soles of your shoes for a second. All right. How You're did right. how did that come around? Where you sell the sponsorship of the bottom of your shoes? Well, me personally, no, it's not about. It, didn't, it, was, it wasn't nah, you. It wasn't, it wasn't me. My manager. I all my all I know is I tell my manager I need a pair of boots. I need some boots. I, obviously, I'm getting a new kit. Yeah, yeah. For the fight, I'm in camp training. My head is not about sponsorship or the soles of my shoes or whatever. I'm just focused. I want this guy, and and you got to remember when I'm going through camp, all I can hear from Frank, especially Tyson, does this. Tyson does that. Tyson does this. Tyson does. That. He's done this to this opponent. He's done that to that opponent. All in press conferences, this and the other. And I'm like, I'm getting mad. I'm I'm all I can think of this guy. This every time I see it, I'm just want to rip this guy's head off. That's all I want to do because I'm sick and tired of hearing this yeah. man. So when they come, I think it was only, it was only about a week prior to the fight, that the boot issue came up. And I was like, at the end of the day, do what you want, because I'm not interested. I really wasn't interested in whatever's happening. Mm. You know, I just so... For those that don't know, it was the Daily Mirror, wasn't it? It was the Daily yes, Mirror. it was the Mirror, yeah. They bought advertising space on the bottom of your yes. shoes. They yeah. wanted to put their banner on the bottom of yeah. your shoes because they believed that Mike was going to come in, destroy you, put and you on your backside, and therefore it, yeah. they'd get the advertising when your yeah. feet were in the sky. That's what they wanted to do. So... And then when, obviously, I, I had the boots and got the boots, and it was an incentive in my in my heart and my head that, of course, you're not going to see this. Mm. I don't care what anybody says. People, like, people, there was obviously the talk of, of what's going to happen. Tyson's going to hit Julius, Julius going to hit the floor. That's kind of what the the everybody kept saying and whatever. But I wasn't interested in that. I had a hard training camp. I was a champion. I knew that the guy could be hit and hurt. He feels a punch. He feels a pinch in the punch, the same as anybody else. Yeah. So that's what my intent. So we went into the camp. I had I had a, um, a few good sparring partners. 
I had obviously I had um, Michael Holden was one of my sparring partners who went on came on to beat me for the British title was gutted um, I had a guy named Egerton Marcus who was one of Lennox Lewis's chief sparring partners very good very Tyson-esque but obviously you have the the, the master print and then you had the, all the photocopies you know so but he was very good I worked with him quite a lot very good very good good fighter at the time um, but you know, going into the fight, we had we had a game plan, and the game plan was kind of to try and keep my. Because I had a good jab, I could box, I could move, um, so keep him at the end of a good jab. Easier said than done when it's Mike Tyson in front of you. You know what I'm saying? So Mike has a tendency comes when he when he fights, he comes straight to you, steps left, step right, and throws a big right hand. Mm -hmm. That's Mike's. So and that's what he did. So you, my, knew, you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> but when he hit me, it was kind of like, in my head, I was like, who the hell do you think you're hitting? Because I don't take just getting hit. You're quite a durable guy. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I can take a punch. I've, I've, been, I've been knocked down a few times. So with that in Not mind, only, when, so when he does that then, does the game plan go out the window and you go, hang on a minute, you because, want a scrap? I'll give yeah, you a scrap. Because, yeah, because that's what I wanted to... That's what it, it turned out to be. He, yeah. draw, he draws you in, mm. you know? He draws you into... And he drew me into his, his fight. Yeah. And I wasn't prepared to take a step back. I wanted to fight him and I wanted to hit him and hurt him. You know, and... and this is another funny story. I got hit by a bus when I was 16. <laughs> right? Where is this going now? Right? Go on. So I was 16. I was... I was is I the, was bus, is the bus all right? Is it? <laughs> True story. Right. So I was standing on the corner of the road in, in Woolwich and a bus came around the corner and it actually mounted the pavement and hit me. Right? I had my back to the road and it actually knocked me over. Like, bam, hit me, bam. So, police ambulance come and they take me to hospital. And I'm like, I don't want to stay in hospital. So I go, I'm, and this is, this is the craziness of me. I don't want to stay in hospital, don't want to stay in hospital. All right, then, well, if you don't want to stay in hospital, you've got to sign yourself out. All right, then, you know, I'll sign myself out. So, but I ended up, I had a, a crack. Well, I had a cracked bone in my neck. In my, in, yeah, but I didn't know. I, all I just did some, it was painful. <laughs> bit, of so, pain in, bit of pain in my, I broke my neck. <laughs> so when when it comes to fighting Tyson and, and, and that kind of stuff, I never ever, I didn't ever think that, and I especially I never ever thought that he could do what he did to me, which was knock me down. He actually knocked me down five times. Five times, times yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until after the fight when we was back in the changing room and they said, right now, Julius, Tyson knocked you down five times. And I was like, no, he didn't. Wow. No, he didn't. He so, never knocked you down. He so you had no recollection at all? Not of that, not of what he did. I know he knocked me down twice. Okay. That, so, was, in the, that was the first round. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I said. And so, and they had to show me, they showed me on the monitor and watched the fight back again. Wow. So oh, instantly, right. there was just memory loss. Just didn't recognise anything that happened in that second round. He hit, and I, I think, I remember getting hit, I think, the first time, and he knocked me down the first time. Yeah. I don't remember, I didn't remember the second knockdown. Okay. And then, I think, I I remember once or twice, maybe it, in, the in the next round. In the second round, yeah. But 
you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. And and the thing was as well, what I do remember is how hard he hit me to the body. Yeah. And he did. He, he really could get down. So I didn't think he was going to be as, as strong as he was because although I was an amateur fighter, I'd sparred with Bruno, sparred with Frank Bruno. Frank Bruno was one of the physically strongest guys I've ever met in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'd never thought anybody could be as strong as Frank. And and Tyson actually literally lifted me off the floor. Wow, you know, um, and it was yeah, it, it was kind for of a guy at five foot ten at five ten and fifteen and a half stone. I think he was, you know, and he could it, he could it. As you found out, <laughs> as you found out, mate. <laughs> Um, listen, I'm going to get your opinion in a minute on uh, what's currently going on in the heavyweight yeah. scene. And we need to find out what you're doing now because you're obviously you're cutting shapes in different aspects now, away from the ring. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll definitely. get stuck into that in a yeah. moment too. Do stick with us. It's fight night here on TalkSport. Julius Francis in the studio. It's fight night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. Julius Francis uh, in the studio. If you've missed any part of this conversation, first of all, where have you been? And secondly, make sure you download the podcast. We've just been speaking about his time fighting Mike Tyson in the early 2000s. Just a mad, mad tale. Everything about it bonkers. It's all available for you uh, on the on the podcast. Now, you are... Are you are you still training? Because you did you you're obviously a physically fit man. Are you still getting in there? Because I know that you I, did a little sometimes, bit. Sometimes, yeah, I sometimes. But the thing is, I don't do any boxing. I don't do any boxing training as such. No, no. I I kind of think to myself that I've done. That was a chapter in my life, and you know, I, I've I've kind of done it. But I, I I would go into gym, and I I think I said to someone the other day, I, I fancy doing a bit of training, a bit of boxing training. Yeah. Yeah, but I haven't done it for I haven't done any real boxing training for years. Because you had a mixed martial arts fight, didn't you? When yeah. you once you once you finished boxing, you went into mixed martial arts, just had a, a little knock. Yeah, it wasn't really you know, the mixed martial arts and, and boxing. If you're a boxer, stick to boxing. If you're if you're a mixed martial artist, stick to that. Because very you know, different if sports. You don't, yeah, they are completely different. Mm. I, I you know, with boxers you can keep guys at the end of a long jab and stuff like that. And if you do get in close and the clinches, you're not going to be rolling around, and you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And then to be a boxer, and then to go into that game, and have someone of the kind of similar weight, 17, 18 stone, laying on your chest, stopping you from breathing, got his elbows in your neck, and all that. So it's no fun. That's not fun. <laughs> but now you're actually working in security, so you're probably doing that more Saturday nights, aren't you? <laughs> I try. Believe me, I try not to. You know what I mean? I, I, I kind of, I say that. For me, a boring night is a good night. That's it. You know what I mean? Um, and, yeah, I, I kind of leave all the the other kind of stuff. If if it does ever happen, I've got to leave it to the youngsters now. You know I mean? <laughs> delegate, man. Yeah, Dele- yeah, delegate yeah. Delegate it out. But uh, also, I work... Um, I work. I, I was working in this uh, alternative provision school, Arco. Yes. Um, working with working with young people, um, and then I'm working again uh, now. Going to be with the WBC Cares team. Yes. Scott we're working with Scott Welsh. Yeah, yeah. And the WBC Cares, um, working with young people again, like kind of like kids that are involved in knife crime, street gangs, and stuff like that. So, and um, with a with another group of people, Legacy. 
Listen, so, is it, is it, is, we speak about this on many, many occasions. We've had fighters on the mm. show, people like Richard Riakpour and, and people like that who've been involved in knife crime themselves yeah. and now have found yeah. a path in boxing in order to get them into a more positive environment. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. boxing can do that. Boxing oh, can help people make better 100%. choices. I mean, you're a walking, talking prime I example think, of that, mate. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I kind of look at it as though I've got a story to tell. And if these kids can relate to that story and I say, oh, you fought Mike Tyson? Yeah, I fought Mike Tyson. But... I never started doing that. Yes. And I never started as a boxer. I had a very, and I say to people, I had a very colourful life, you know, and I've done things. They, they, so, they, the kids are talk about being in gangs and knives, crime and all that kind of stuff, being in prison. And all that. I say, like, yeah, I've already been. I've yeah, been I've done there, that. Been there, I've got, I've got them yeah. T-shirts, boys. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, you can, if you want to, make a change. Yeah. You know, it's and important. It's important that people that have been there and experienced it are speaking and conversing with oh, our young people. It's majorly important because, for the pure and simple fact that, when I see and hear and read about these these kids that are dying, because they are only kids, and they and they they talk like, oh yeah, we're man, demands them and all this, but they're not. They haven't grown up. They haven't seen life. They haven't travelled. They haven't experienced anything, and that's the sad thing when they're going around stabbing each other and killing each other it's, yeah. it's kind of terrible mm, it is huh? just on the um, on the current heavyweight scene we've got mm. two young lads going at it tonight at the yeah. O2 Arena next yeah. week Dillian's in action as well again who, yeah who stands out for you on the British scene who stands out for you who, who's well, the guys that, you, that you're looking at and you're thinking they could really have a proper career I always, I've always favoured Dillian White because again he's I'm kind of a bit biased in, in this sense South London. If you come from South London... You look after you're, your own, yeah? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so, Dillian White, for me, he's been... I, f I think that they really did done disser a disservice to Dillian because Agreed. he's been number one contender in the major... for the major belts for a long time. Over 600 days. Yeah, yeah. And he still hasn't got a fair crack. Since he lost against um, Anthony Joshua, he's become the fighter that he should have been because he took himself away, got himself conditioned, mm -hmm. fit, strong, got a mindset right as well. Yeah. Because he always had a big heart and he always he, he was always game. But you can't, it's it's about the hard work. It's, you can have that talent and be strong and whatever, but you have to have that hard work. And that's what he was lacking mm -hmm. at that time. But now he's the man. He's the man at the moment. The younger guys, all the ones that come behind him, again, like I say, South London. Daniel Dubois comes from, he's from my neck of the woods, he comes from Greenwich, right? So he's fighting around the corner from his house, you know, at the O2. Again, I favour Daniel. I, I like the look of him. Doesn't say, doesn't actually say a great deal, but he just lets his hands do the talking, yeah. which I like. Um, I, I'm not going to knock Gorman. I think Gorman's a talented fighter. But I just think tonight is going to be a, uh, maybe a step too far for him. Mm. You know, he said that it, whoever loses has got to kind of take six months, a year to get back Build to themselves that position. Back up. Yeah, which is, which is only right and proper. Mm -hmm. um, I hope if Daniel wins the fight tonight, that he goes the route of defending the British title and learning the game. He's still only a baby. He's still yeah, only he early is, 20s, he is. isn't he, you know? But again, when we, when we talk about these young fighters, you've got to remember, Tyson was already champion at 20. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's, when you when you think about that, and then you think about these guys here, you go, wow, you know what, this is crazy. Yeah. Tyson must have been really something, something different.
Oh. Which he was. Well, you've told us. You've told us. He's been in there with you, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> Is it for you? Obviously, now do you get the opportunity to get to many fights? I know that you're working hard and you're doing your thing most weekends, but do you get the opportunity to go and, and embrace and be, what, be around the boxing culture, the old what, friends, and I'll what tell have you? What it is with me, I think I'm not the type of person to go and push myself into a situation in in the sense that I'll go to these big fights and want to be part of that um, crowd anymore, you know what mm. I mean? Because I, I say to myself sometimes, oh, I've been there, I've done it, you know, and I, I enjoy, but I do enjoy watching the big fights and seeing the preparation and, and sometimes if I if I have the opportunity, I will go, mm. you know? And I, I definitely would like to see um, Daniel fight because I, I, I do actually look at him and think that he's a, he's a really nice guy. Seems a really nice person. I would like to go and see him fight. When you when you look at him, him at the like, age that he's at, do you yeah. look at him and think to yourself he's definitely going to go on to become a world champion at some point? Well, you know what? The the only thing is, and I think it's a little bit different nowadays. When I was when I first became a pro, I had one fight over here. Then my manager said, "Right, I'm shipping you off to America mm. to go and spar with Lennox Lewis, to go in Lennox Lewis's camp and spar with the guys that he had around him." I went there, all that he said, right now, this is your flight, pack your bags, this is your flight, this is where you're going. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it was kind of, he was kind of chucked in at the deep end, as it were. But they don't do that with certain fighters nowadays because yeah. they want to kind of modly coddle them and, and smother them in cotton wool, which I think sometimes it, it kind of makes them a bit soft yeah. in a way, you know? So, and, and this is why I say about when I, with my fighting career, you know, yes, I might have been, I might not have won everything in the game, but I took myself off and went and done the things that I wanted to do and I was kind of in some ways forced to do, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that some of these fighters nowadays, they should be forced to do that kind of thing. Yeah, send them away. And uh, someone like Anthony Joshua, all right, then he's lost his title, but... Why modicoddle him and why cover him again, smother him in cotton wool? Let him go and learn the things that he, he did wrong. The things that he did wrong. Let him go and learn and, and maybe get beaten up a couple of times in, in those American gyms because that's where you learn the game. Mm. What, would your, what would your advice be to him? Obviously, getting beaten, a surprise defeat against uh, uh, Andy Ruiz. What would be your advice to Anthony Joshua? You know what? All right, then I say, for me, it wasn't a surprise. It was only a surprise that he got beat by that guy. Okay. Andy Ruiz. I would have said, if he'd had the fight with Joshua, uh, with um, um, Dillian White, Dillian White would have beat him. People say, no, 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 he couldn't have, he couldn't have, he couldn't have. Wouldn't have. But Dillian White became that fighter that was, that is now in a position to be the world champion. Mm -hmm. And I, I really believe that Dillian White was the guy to do that. So for you, it was only a matter of time. It was only it was only a matter of time because there's so many things that I see with that. Now, and I'm not going to criticise him. He's been a world champion, you know, so he's he's been topper than me. So, but it was, I think it was only a matter of time before he got beaten, before he got exposed. Because mm. I saw a lot of, of things that he, that he was doing um, incorrectly. I wouldn't say wrong, but incorrectly, where I think that they should have been pointed out and, and picked up a lot, lot sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and and it was it wasn't no, I'm not gonna gloat. I never never gloated and and laughed after him, but you know, it was it was kind of it was a shock to see Andy Ruiz do it. Yeah, the guy that everybody said, oh look at him, he's he's kind of like he's this big rotund guy that don't look like he can fight. But me not doing my research. 
and like a lot of other people didn't do their research, but he only lost one fight. Yeah. And Narrowly was, as well against yeah, Jersey Parker. And, and a, a lot loss. of people that I've spoken to that watched the fight said that he won. Yeah, I agree. So on the uh, on the other two, on Wilder Fury. Um, I think uh Fury is kind of like he's, he's doing so much talking and not he, he had a great fight. He had a winning fight against Deontay Wilder. Yes. I backed Wilder to win the fight by KO. But by the end of the fight, I was all in I was all in um Tyson Fury's corner because he because they rubbed him. Mm-hmm. And I've said this, they rubbed him. Um but coming from that fight to fighting Schwartz last week. Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks that ago. guy there. I'm not joking. I've been out of the ring for so many years, I could have beat that guy. Give me you could have given me three weeks training, I've got to beat him. Because he was he was that Tyson Tyson Fury, come on, you know you you're you're better than that. You are better than that. Um Who else did you have a guy? Wilder. Wilder. I think Wilder's now he's got to be the one to really watch because, you know, after what he did to Brazil in that devastating fashion, and everybody knows that he's not um he's not a big guy as in weight wise, yeah. but he carries so much power. Yeah. So his power is, is absolutely crazy. Julius, it's been fascinating speaking to you, mate. Listen, thank you so much no uh, for thank coming you. It's in. It's been a pleasure. Listen, you'll probably be back in next week doing, <laughs> doing another program, telling more tales. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.